folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum. As always, we try to bring you these independent voices and, as best as we can, civil dialogue across that gaping political divide. I'm Ed Fallon, your host, and we are coming to you from the balmy heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. So if you value what we do, you know we could sure use your support. Uh, visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or are with a nonprofit, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery store and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Gateway also has excellent catering and floral services. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, Kathy Burns with me in the studio today, and uh, we'll hear from her at both ends of the program. Uh, later in the program, we're going to be talking a bit more about starting seeds, and we're going to take a specific look at peach trees. Yeah. Uh, but but before and before Kathy and I talk about the egg crisis, I want to point out that later in the program, uh, Tim Takara is going to join us. We're going to be discussing opposition to the Trans Mountain Pipeline. It's not just pipelines in the Upper Midwest that are posing problems, folks. Elsewhere as well. And also later in the program, we'll talk with Dr. Maureen McHugh with Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility. She's going to join us with a perspective on Martin Luther King Jr. and nuclear weapons. But first, egg prices. Kathy, how are they looking? <laughs> they are definitely looking high. And we are not people who buy eggs so uh, because we are backyard producers. But there are people really feeling some hurt with higher egg prices. They depend on eggs. But I thought it would be good to put it in perspective. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the prices have pretty much doubled in the past year, which has brought the median price of a dozen eggs to $4.25 a dozen. And that's for your standard commercial white leghorn confinement-operated, confinement-produced egg. Right, the yeah. median price. In other words, it's what mostly is sold and what most people are buying. Right. And that means um, folks are, you know, if you depend on eggs, you're paying twice as much. But I just want to, for a little perspective, talk about what pe why people have come to expect eggs to be so cheap and compare it to some other things that we, we value. Uh, just, just to note that uh, the price of eggs now makes them about 40 cents per egg. And they have seven grams of, uh, according to WebMD, high-quality protein. They've got all kinds of vitamins, minerals, uh, nutrients, lutein, xanthan, all kinds of good so stuff. And they so good. They're good. <laughs> and they are little powerhouses. Um, but, uh, so, you know, according to your calorie needs each day, an adult is, it should be taking in about 50 to 175 grams of protein. 150 to 175. No, 50, 50 to, 175. to 175. So there's a broad range. That's a very One broad egg range. has about yeah. seven grams of protein. Okay. So compare. One ounce of ground beef will give you 4.25 grams of protein. That okay. is selling right now from a major producer here in Iowa, from a major high, uh, store chain here in Iowa for 46 cents for one ounce. For one ounce, okay, and of how does ground beef? How does that compare to one forty cent egg? Well, it, it gives you less protein oh, okay. than the seven grams you're getting from an egg. Gotcha. All Three right. ounces of tofu is going for 57 cents for three ounces. That gives you six grams of protein, still less than one egg. Right, okay. And other things people eat, just by comparison, things I value, for instance, two ounces of <laughs> a popular ice cream brand where you go get your soft I know, serve. I see where you're going with that. Two ounces. Yeah, it, two ounces of, okay. let's say, 
a, a five ounce cone. Two of those ounces is 74 cents. Okay. And so eggs are a deal. Yeah, one chocolate box, 14 luxury chocolates. <laughs> one of those chocolates can cost over $2. So let's just put it in perspective. So in perspective, eggs are cheaper than a lot of things, especially when it comes to your protein source. Correct. They're already, even, even at the elevated price right now, mm-hmm. they're still cheaper. But let's yeah. But that isn't gonna that isn't gonna fly with a family that's struggling, right? And unable to afford everything else that's coming at them: rent, yep, school costs, other groceries, well, and the, suddenly eggs. The reasons for the higher prices. Sure. Supply yeah. chain issues, um, and uh, you know, the avian flu has been cited as you know, by most sources as the most significant reason because of the millions. 58 million chickens culled in the past year because of avian flu. And, and a lot of those have been in Iowa. A lo- because Iowa is the number one egg producer in the state. But these aren't backyard flocks, right? They're not backyard no. flocks. So the statistics don't take into account whether or not, you know, the, the backyard flocks are really having an, an impact. I don't think anybody's even doing that study. There have been some losses to backyard flocks. We keep tabs on some social media pages uh, about what's going on with folks' backyard flocks. But it's easier for those who have backyard flocks, and we are some of them, to monitor their chickens more carefully to know immediately when one is sick and take action. Well, yeah, and it's mostly migratory fowl that are transmitting avian flu. Mm -hmm. And depending on your setup, Mm -hmm. you may not even have, I mean, while those, those migratory birds may not even have access to your Coop. I mean, that's that's our situation. Or the, the run. Yeah, I've never once seen yeah, the run, right. I've never once seen a migratory bird in our run. I've seen plenty of sparrows that stick around all year. Right. Geese, don't, geese might fly over, but they cannot dispense of their foul Well, I suppose they could <laughs> drop waste. it from on high and just... just uh, foul, flu-infested waste. <laughs> yeah, just hit our coop, but I doubt that. They could. They yeah. could. Bottom line is that it's not, it's not the backyard flocks that are... That are primarily suffering from avian flu. It's the big right. commercial. Operators. It is, the, and and they lose so many more millions. And that's what's of, driving the cost up, in in part. You said there's other reasons. What well, else you some got? supply chain issues. Also, sure. in the past several years, demand has increased, and that's that's good to see. Frankly, we spent decades where people were looking at eggs as the bad guys. You know, oh, they have cholesterol. Don't <laughs> eat an egg. Okay. I know, I know several people who uh, try to live healthy lives, they're doing great, and they say, no, I don't eat eggs because of the cholesterol. So take another look. I'll bet that 115-year-old woman, uh, Bessie Hendricks, who died a couple weeks ago, I'll bet Bessie ate a lot of eggs. Well, you can't make a good birthday cake, which she she did eat plenty of. She she said her secret to longevity was eating sweets and not going to see doctors. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Anyway, that's very anecdotal. But so... um, one solution to this problem mm-hmm. is for people to start raising their own hens. That's right. You wouldn't be dependent on on what the stores are going to offer. Um, I mean, it's a small solution. It's not the comprehensive solution we need, but it's something. With the understanding that once you get into a backyard chicken operation, you are buying feed. And, uh, you, you know, unless you have a really good setup where you can let them, you know, scramble around and get a lot of bugs out in the yard... Um, but you can't do that year-round either. You can't do it well, year-round Well, you can in some in parts Iowa. of the country, but not in Iowa. Yeah. But you will have some expense for feed. There's some startup expense. Uh, but after that, you you know, you get five, ten hens, laying hens, and, and you've got a nice little operation. And you mm-hmm. have your weekly supply of eggs, yeah. for sure, depending on you, how much you eat in your family size. Yeah. You can actually build a decent chicken coop for almost nothing from scrap materials. Always and, go scrap. Yeah, and, and uh, the, the chicken coop that I've got, that we've got, I, I inherited from a yes. long time ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know what that costs. But our rabbit hutch, no cost at all. Uh, I, well, it, it was all scrap material until we got to the floor. That cost us a bit. Mm-hmm. Not that much. but right. So, I mean, you can actually come up with a good chicken, you know, a, a laying hen operation with little cost. And I would say that we pretty much uh, don't, well, we don't spend any money on eggs. And we probably... With the eggs that we have available that we, you know, trade with friends for other things, you know, we pretty much break even. Right. 
Right. Yeah. And it's worth it. Kids find huge entertainment when we have grandkids over or neighborhood kids. Well, we find huge we entertainment. Find, yes. um, here's the thing. Get, uh, get yourself some chickens and cancel your cable TV subscription or however people watch TV now. We don't watch TV. We don't have a TV because we don't need one. The chickens are so entertaining. But one of the biggest obstacles to moving forward with more backyard flocks I mean, I, I get it. Sometimes people don't want to do that. But a bigger obstacle is cities that don't allow it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, Des Moines, we're very fortunate in Des Moines. Des Moines will let you have up to 30. However, there's a neighboring city that you would think would be a little more in the know about that, who they're not allowing it right now. And some Zero. Folk, <laughs> some folks in that uh, in that city are going to, you know, get working on that. I've already seen an, a bunch of active posts on Facebook about that. Good. Yeah. So, you know, I, there's so much to learn. I mean, I, again, it's it's a big learning curve. There's not um, there's not a, a huge universe right at your doorstep that's going to tell you how to go about getting started in backyard chickens. But you know, again, I can't emphasize the fact that it's actually a lot of fun. It really is. It really is. And there are men- plenty of mentors out there. All kinds of people who enjoy having the backyard chickens, are more than happy to just talk through it with you. I don't know how many people we've talked through the chicken rearing process. And, <laughs> and they, are now, they are now raising um, hens. And if they want to have a rooster, that's fine. That can be a benefit. And some cities will allow hens but not roosters. But our experience is, yes, a rooster can be loud, but not as loud as a lot of dogs mm-hmm. and certainly not as loud as the the uh, dumpster truck that comes by at 5.30 in the morning twice a week <laughs> right next to our fence. Uh. <laughs> well, the, the situation in Iowa is, um, is really specific because, you know, as I mentioned, Iowa is the largest producer of eggs. Commercial eggs. Yeah. Commercial eggs mm-hmm. uh, in, in the U.S. So uh, a quote from the uh, business analyst at Egg Industry Center at Iowa State University recently told the Washington Post, and uh, this this guy's name is Maro Ibaruru, perhaps. I may, may not be pronouncing that right. But it, he is saying the flu is the most important factor affecting egg prices. We need to see if more birds are affected by influenza. In the event we get the outbreak under control, it will be better every month. So that, that, sound, that sounds like, yes, we all want it to get under control. I'm not quite sure... Yeah, but I don't think it is going to. It's, it's, it's going to be a perennial problem. I mean, this is not the first time we've seen a big outbreak of avian flu. Mm-hmm. It's almost becoming an annual event. It is. It's surprising. They always say, oh, it's very rare, but it's happening, and we hear that more and more. And, and to me, the, a, great mo- a great alternative model is for more and more people to be raising hens themselves. And, and we, you know, we raise probably, uh, we have about, what, four or five dozen extra eggs mm-hmm. a week to um, to dispense we with. We always know people who can use them. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, and oftentimes it's neighbors uh, who, we, uh, mm-hmm. who we connect with on them. But the um, bottom line is it's, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It's an answer to these high egg prices. It's a, it's a superior product. I mean, you can't, you can't compare the quality of a your free-range egg to one you'll get from a confinement bird. That's a really good point. We haven't even talked about that. The the eggs that people were buying for a dollar fifty a dozen at the stores before, um, they probably all white eggs. And the reason those are the white eggs are cheaper is not because they're not better eggs. It's because that they're from Leghorns, which is a more reliable layer than any of the other birds. So the the cheaper eggs, however, probably were produced from hens who were not fed really good feed. Yeah. And if you feed good feed and you crack an egg from one of those hens open in a bowl next to one of the really cheap eggs that you can get from any large producer, yeah. you will see yeah. the difference. Well, and, the, and the other benefit, and again, you know, if you have kids, it is a great way to get kids interested in learning where their food comes from. Taking responsibility for mm-hmm. for uh, you know, being the caretaker for another li- another life form, uh, and you also have the benefit of the manure. Mm-hmm. If you have any kind of gardening going on, 
uh, the what's left after you know the, the chickens have scratched around in their pen and mm-hmm. and deposited their uh, the remnants of their their dinner. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's really good stuff for your garden. And we and we um and some people some people sometimes people are concerned about smells. We almost never have a smell problem, an odor problem. Every once in a while, something goes awry, but it's easily fixed. So we know what to do. There's a product you can sprinkle around. Uh, also, speaking of what the chickens eat, for cities, there is a benefit of chickens eating people's table scraps, <laughs> just the ones that are appropriate for chickens. Which and is most of them. <laughs> how much, right, how much waste that keeps out of the garbage so that there's not so much stress on the city waste system. So uh, for those people looking to nudge their cities toward more friendly back egg, backyard egg production. Back egg. Um, talk about just, just how, yeah. how much less waste is going into the garbage. Yeah. yeah. But I, again, I, I think this is the, we're just seeing the tip of the chain, the supply chain iceberg. It's going to get worse, folks. There's no doubt about it. There's so many factors coming together that are going to compromise our food sources. It is high time that people get more serious about about uh, about raising to the extent they can their own food and again there's no better source of protein uh, in terms of in terms of ease of raising mm-hmm. than a laying hen and if your city isn't on board get them to, get them to be on board we're actually working with our city to be more uh, more on board even though again it's a good ordinance it's a good ordinance it's, it's... they're not doing enough to promote it and 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 uh, and help uh, get the word out about the availability of this option so we uh, we hope that um, that more of that will happen here and elsewhere. Agree. All right. Hey, Kathy, thanks for joining us. Kathy Burns, folks, uh, with Birds and Bees Urban Farm. This is Ed Fallon. We've got to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll be talking with Tim Takaro about the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, uh, folks, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, the niche that we try to provide here is more important than ever. So please support what we do. Go to the Fallon Forum website. Donate if you can. Sign up for our weekly blogs. Um, you know, Become a monthly sponsor if possible as well. And speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, Owner Mark Clipsham says that no matter how you plan or renovate your project, please use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. That's Architecture by Synthesis. Thanks also to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Well, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the program uh, Tim Takaro. He has been with us before. He is uh, doing great work, along with a lot of other people, to raise awareness about the proposed expansion of the mount, the uh, the um, Trans Mountain Pipeline. Tim, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ed. It's great to be back. Yes, and you are joining us from where? I'm uh, in New Westminster, British Columbia. It's uh, Kikite unceded territory. 
And the uh, native uh, ally, the native people in British Columbia, I believe, are for the most part not happy with this proposed pipeline. Well, uh, it depends on who you talk to, but certainly um, the Coast Salish are opposed, and um, there are a few uh, groups that have made uh, what are called mutual benefit agreements with the Trans Mountain uh, Pipeline Company, and um, they're uh, staying silent. And those mutual benefit agreements probably pretty much benefit the petroleum company, correct? Well, they need a right-of-way, yeah. um, and these nations, many of them are impoverished reserves uh, and obviously sure. need, um, need financing. So it's one of those classic squeeze plays. Right, sure. And I know we, we spoke after the uh, pipeline ruptured in Kansas, and that was a significant rupture causing a lot of damage and uh, getting a lot of attention. Has uh, has that um, has that incident impacted the conversation about the Trans Mountain Pipeline at all? Well, it uh, certainly has reinforced what we've been saying all along. Um, you know, we've had plenty of spills uh, along uh, pipelines in Canada as well. Uh, this material, diluted bitumen, is uh, particularly dangerous. Um, right. Diluted bitumen is essentially tar that is uh, diluted uh, with a gasoline-like mixture of uh, light distillates so that uh, it will flow through a pipe. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that means it's highly flammable, contains a lot of benzene and other carcinogens. And uh, when it leaks out, uh, it behaves differently than oil in the environment. It tends to uh, sink over right. time. So instead of floating on the top of water and being skimmed off easily, uh, diluted bitumen uh, sinks to the bottom. We had an incident with uh, a train derailing in northwest Iowa a couple years ago in which that very uh, very situation occurred. The, uh, the, the bitumen sank into the bottom of the river, making cleanup a lot harder, too. Uh, yeah. So, so what, what is, a, again, I, I, I think this uh, conversation would interest a lot of people because all across the country there are concerns about pipelines being expanded. Uh, certainly we, we're seeing gas and oil pipelines continuing to be you know, proposed. Uh, uh, President Biden, in all honesty, has done very little to, to stem that tide. Uh, we're also, here in the upper Midwest, our biggest pipeline headache right now is uh, the three different companies that want to build carbon dioxide pipelines. Uh, in Iowa alone, there would be 2,000 miles of land impacted by those pipelines. And uh, people who are concerned about climate change are against them because they're not a real climate solution. Uh, people concerned about water quality are, you know, are aware of what could happen. Uh, although more important even than water quality, the, what happened down in Mississippi in Satarsha a couple of years ago when a you know a carbon dioxide pipeline ruptured, that that uh, nearly killed a whole lot of people and sent 49 people to the hospital in very intensive uh, situations. So I mean, it just it's not a unique problem that uh, that you know we're battling a pipeline here. You you're dealing with the same thing in your corner of Canada. And um, I, one question I have for you, Tim, is uh, is is the issue of eminent domain uh, is that is that part of the conversation? Because that's probably the most um, prominent concern here in Iowa, is people who don't think the government has any right to come in and take their land for a privately owned company. Is that an issue in Canada with regards to the Trans Mountain Pipeline as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, the, uh, we have the additional um, challenge of uh, provincial law uh, over federal law. Um, but... Eminent domain is definitely uh, problematic here in British Columbia, not too dissimilar from the U.S. I, I grew up in the U.S. incidentally in North Carolina um, and came to Canada in 2005. So I have some familiarity with uh, pipelines on both sides of the mm. border. And um, the, um, the other uh, difference here in British Columbia is that most of the land is 
unceded territory mm, right. of um, an indigenous peoples, one or another of the groups. And uh, so not only does the uh, title holder um, have title over unceded territory, which is questionable, but then um, the government steps in and says, uh, no, in the national interest, we need to push this pipeline uh, through your property and incidentally also through your rivers and streams. Um, can you explain? We've, uh, uh, had a lot of stream loss uh, because of this pipeline. Tim, can you explain what unceded territory is, just in case there are folks listening who may not be familiar yeah. with that term? So um, in much of the U.S. and uh, certainly parts of Canada, uh, uh, indigenous peoples made uh, treaties uh, with the settlers, uh, many of these uh, in the um, mid to late um, 19th century. And uh, the difference here in British Columbia is that uh, indigenous peoples did not sign any treaties. Uh, there is one uh, treaty here in uh, coastal British Columbia, but uh, most of the land is unceded, meaning there is no treaty covering it. And does that impact the legal protections that, that are, might be available to a native tribe? In fact, um, there have been some recent court decisions that support um, indigenous land claims um, on unceded territory. Hmm. So the Chilcotin case is often cited, um, and the Chilcotin were able to uh, convince uh, the Supreme Court that these lands that they have held in perpetuity um, are indeed theirs and no one else uh, should be able to give title to them. Uh, so there has been hmm. some uh, okay. progress in that way, um, but I would say most of the unceded lands uh, remain uh, without treaties. And uh, the treaty process is very long and involved, and um, I think some First Nations feel like uh, not worth the effort because um, at the end of the day, they get run over anyway. Right. And, and so it's not just native land that's being impacted by the Trans Mountain Pipeline. I, I presume there are private landowners, settler-descended landowners on the Route 2 that— uh, Maybe some of them are okay with being with, with whatever payment they're getting from the company, but I'm, I imagine some of them are resisting, as we're seeing here in the Upper Midwest, uh, and that they may be a threat of having their land taken through eminent domain. Is that also the case? Yes, and it's happened um, several occasions uh, that the land has been taken despite the landowner's um, disagreement, um, and. It's, uh, it's a matter of uh, not just private landowners, but the cities of um, Burnaby, for example, uh, where the terminus is, has been opposed uh, to the project from the get-go. Mm -hmm. um, and they've been completely run over, mm -hmm. even um, having violations of their fire laws, um, their fire bylaws, um, being violated uh, by the Trans Mountain Company. So, uh, and I want to ask you about the big picture here in a minute, but first, just a, a little, let's zero in a little bit more on the Trans Mountain Pipeline itself. Uh, it, I presume it's coming from the Alberta Tar Sands region, correct? That's right. And it's uh, the plan, I mean, some of what's coming from the Alberta Tar Sands uh, is shipped by Keystone One, the pipeline that, that burst in Kansas recently. Uh, the, right. the intent to build the second Keystone Pipeline, the Keystone XL Pipeline, uh, was stopped. President Biden did uh, put an end to that. Good for him on that account. But this is a plan that kind of bypasses that and brings the oil to the Pacific Coast, I presume to Vancouver or another port on the uh, coast of British Columbia? Yeah, it's to Vancouver. It's um, quite... Um risky on the end as well because uh, it is on the Burrard Inlet and for tankers to get out they have to go through two narrows hmm. um, right where the city of Vancouver is uh, so there's um, 
big threat to mm. uh, the ecosystem and to right. humans um, right there in Vancouver, large population center. And would the, uh, would the oil be refined in Vancouver or would it be shipped? No, it, it would be shipped as, uh, as uh, diluted bitumen. And to wherever it can be sold on the market for the highest price, I imagine. Yeah, and this, of course, is one of the big issues. Um, our analysis shows that there's really no market for the stuff. Um, hmm. And, in fact, the, there is an existing pipeline, so similar um, to Keystone in that regard. Um, this is an expansion project. And um, on the existing pipeline, uh, there's not been enough demand on it. So it's... Right. Uh, bit of a head scratcher uh, because the value of the um, pipeline has now gone into the negative millions, hundreds of millions. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, the question of a market is is, uh, definitely open. And of course, if we don't um, reduce uh, fossil fuel emissions, um, as a species, we're um, right. pretty much... And, and that's what the UN has been saying. I mean, and, and pretty loud, pretty clear, we have got to, we've got to stop expanding the infrastructure for further development of fossil fuels. And yet, we have both the, quote, liberal Biden administration, again, with the exception being of, of, uh, of canceling the Keystone XL pipeline, we have the Biden administration pushing for expanding the production of fossil fuels, and we have the liberal Trudeau administration in Canada doing the same thing. What part of science are these guys missing? Yeah, uh, so I am afraid what they are, um, what they're missing is an understanding of uh, human behavior. Uh, we're we're addicted to fossil energy. We have made um, some inroads in reducing demand, uh, but this uh, situation we're in is is a bit like uh, the tobacco companies um, 20, right. 30 years ago, right. when they knew they were peddling a harmful product, but they just continued anyway because they could. Yeah, and uh, that you know a lot of people were making a lot of money, um, and that's the way it is with the fossil energy industry. Yeah, and I know... Exactly, I was just going to say. In the 70s, that's right. their product was harmful. And yet, yet, yet they were not yep. expanded, continued to, I know. and then obfuscated on the science. It's infuriating. And, I, 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 you know, I think my own opinion is people, more and more people are going to have to say, hey, this is not acceptable. And we're not going to be supporting politicians that are out of step with what science is telling us. And that's a big ask. <laughs> One more question, Tim. It appears to be. Yeah. I, yeah it yeah. appears to be a really big ask. Shockingly, because, again, the evidence of what we're doing and where we're heading is so strong. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, um, it's, it's in progress. They're, they're building it as we speak. Uh, but what are the prospects of it uh, being stopped? How does that look? Yeah, we still, we still feel like it's uh, stoppable uh, because it is such – an obviously terrible idea uh, for humans and the planet. Um, it's part of a bigger problem, as you allude to, though, and um, that has to do with how our democracy doesn't work. Right. Um, and you and, would you and, would, and you would say the same with quite, you you would say the same for Canada's democracy. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. I, I, absolutely. Yeah. Our um, ministries that relate to uh, resource extraction have been captured by industry. Mm. And um, all you have to do is look at, you know, the hours of lobbying um, and uh, people with concerns for the health of humans and the planet uh, get very little time in front of these ministers uh, compared with the industry that gets, it seems, seems as if as much time as they want. The influence on our government is obvious yeah. and um, pernicious, uh, and it's 
what's killing us. Well, I think all we can do, Tim, is to continue to uh, organize and uh, educate and try to mobilize more people to speak out and at the same time to try to, you know, change our own lives and in a way that we can be that change that we'd like to see in the world, if I can borrow an expression that uh, that has guided me through most of my life. Tim, uh, i got to go to a break here. Um, if people want to uh, learn more about your work and the work of others who are opposing the Trans Mountain Pipeline, where do they go? What's the best vehicle for them? Uh, I would uh, recommend our website, which is called StopTMX. .ca. Okay, stop. StopTMX.ca. Tim, thank you so much. Uh, folks, this is Ed Fallon. I appreciate being on. You take care. All right, we're going to uh, take a short break, folks, and when we come back, we will discuss uh, with um, Dr. Maureen McHugh of Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility. We're going to be talking about uh, Martin Luther King's view on nuclear weapons, looking at the historical record on that. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Remember, you can support this alternative to the angry shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. And speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-paid basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. All right, it is my pleasure to welcome to the program Dr. Maureen McHugh with Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility. Happy Martin Luther King Day, Maureen. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, Martin Luther King Day is one of my absolute favorite holidays. You don't have to go anywhere, do anything, invite or cook, but you get to spend a lot of time thinking about some really important topics yeah. that need a lot of thought. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's encouraging that a lot of people do spend time thinking about Martin Luther King's legacy and the work he did. Um, and, I, you know, one thing that's not known to a lot of people is that he also had a very strong perspective on war and peace. And I understand, uh, you know, with Physicians for Social Responsibility, that's one of your organization's focus areas. What can you tell us about ML King's perspective on war yeah. and peace? I appreciate, you know, we all know, you know, he was a vociferous reader and uh, knew a lot about uh, philosophy and rights and politics, but people don't really spend much time realizing that nuclear weapons, whose risk nowadays is clearly growing, oh, are yeah. the most destructive, deadly weapons ever created, and he actually talked about him. In his uh, Nobel Peace Prize lecture, he said the fact that most of the time human beings put the truth about the nature and risks of nuclear war out of their minds because it's too painful, not acceptable, does not alter the nature and the risks of such war. I mean, how often do people mention that? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and definitely he talked about spending on military a nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift. And don't we also spend spiritual death? Don't we also yeah. spend more money on the military than the next what twenty-five nations combined? Some some credible, some crazy number yeah. like that. 
Yeah, we're we're just way way up there and and way beyond uh, any combination of anybody that we call our enemy. Yeah, uh, the whole thing is so so absurd. Martin Luther King's um the, the comment you just shared with us that was not a one and out for him. He was he was more frequently, if I understand correctly, speaking out both against the Vietnam War and also against the proliferation of nuclear weapons. Is that the case? Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes. His Beyond Vietnam speech is um, very well known. Here in Iowa City area, we often, along with the uh, Veterans for Peace, actually read that out in a public setting. Um, uh -huh. Very good. And, uh, you know, just to kind of get the word out there, because people really somehow, you know, it's obviously very important that we focus on civil rights and voting rights. Um, but you can't overlook this part of his legacy either. I mean, he was really um, very concerned about peace and war and imperialism and uh, particularly about uh, the dangers of nuclear weapons. So at this point in time, with all the craziness going on in uh, Ukraine right now mm -hmm. with Russia, mm -hmm. it's such a time to yeah. kind of look at that part of his legacy on, on Martin Luther King Day. Yeah. Now, did he get any pushback from the powers that be for his statements about Vietnam and more specifically about nuclear weapons? Well, of course, he was followed by the FBI for years and, and labeled the most dangerous Negro. Um, and <laughs> oh, is, is, that, is that for real? <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. I wish I could find the speech right now while yeah. we're talking. But, um, yeah, he's, he definitely was followed by uh, the FBI for a long time. Um, and uh, not even just the most dangerous person, the most dangerous Negro. Dangerous Negro. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's a quote from Interesting. somewhere. That's, I pulled it that, out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, there are some, of course, who speculate that it wasn't just um, a random assassin that took him out. It was uh, forces within the U.S. government that believed that he was going way beyond the cause of civil rights and voting rights and, uh, was uh, speaking out against core policies that were at the heart of what it means to be the U.S. empire in the 20th century, and uh, and certainly you know you know criticizing Vietnam, criticizing the expansion of nuclear weapons, you know, could have qualified as challenging the very heart of the U.S. empire. Do you think there is anything to that theory that there that, that well, perhaps that's know, why <laughs> we're bombarded with conspiracy theories? I know. I'm, I'm, I hesitate to expound. <laughs> I hesitate to uh, embrace one. <laughs> right, right. But I think I think a lot of people feel that there's some grounds for that. But, of course, it's not one of the things that anybody really puts the time and effort into tracking. But, well, it might, it might be impossible uh, to track, too. So, Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, on that same um, wavelength, you know, we have to, <laughs> speaking of conspiracies and, and assassinations, um, there was also the role uh, under JFK uh, addressing the need to um, rein in the role of nuclear weapons. And, and clearly, you know, there's a lot of, you know, dark clouds that mm. hang over that assassination. What, what did JFK well. say about the issue? Well, basically, JFK was saying we must abolish them before they abolished us. And okay. um, he he was working, you know, with other international leaders uh, to to bring about um, a halt in the proliferation of nuclear weapons. Of course, Ronald Reagan also spoke out uh, uh, about them. In fact, you know, here in town we had the play going on, A Walk in the Woods, where um, his uh, minions uh, kept speaking to Russians about the necessity of uh, dialing back. Uh, the the weapons production and um, the rhetoric um, yeah. supporting their use well, and really, so on. So, so it's 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 a pretty complicated history, much of which we just look the other way um, as we continue to spend outrageous sums of money on replacing and modernizing and expanding our entire nuclear weapons arsenal. Mm -hmm. um, and infrastructure. It's, so what, what do you say to the argument that, well, we can't be too quick to eliminate all nuclear weapons because what about Russia? What about China? How do you respond to that perspective? <laughs> well, I, I don't think anybody says we're going to get rid of them tomorrow, but if you don't begin to start getting rid of them, you never will. 
And to date, we're still here more by luck than by policy. Um, we can't continue down this lane. I mean, the, the near misses are in the thousands. What do, you, what, what do you mean near misses? Well, when, when they've lost a couple of the uh, bombs or they've dropped the bombs. I mean, there are just some what do you mean? really you, horrific history. Dropped a, bomb that, dropped a bomb that didn't go off? Yes, it didn't go off. It, they had to um, evacuate the whole area. They they got some pretty high level people in the military brought in. They they searched very carefully. They found one of the bombs. Unfortunately, it did not detonate, and the other one has become buried and lost. It's still lost. <laughs> they can't retrieve it. It's, oh, it's been found. They can't retrieve it. It's too dangerous to try to retrieve it. So it's just in a no-go. That area. is disturbing on so many levels. Oh uh, God, there's there's so yeah. much of this history out there. It's just I've got a nuclear you know, bomb in my backyard. I, I I don't want it to go off, and I don't want I can't right. I'm not allowed to get rid of it. It's just kind of sitting there, and hopefully it won't go off. I mean, is that what we're dealing with? Yes, but you know this around the world. There's unexploded ordnance. Uh, sure. We know this. We keep we keep dropping it in places. And why would anybody think that the people in our military are are superhuman? I mean, and then there's you know the man who saved the world, basically the the Russian general who wouldn't shoot back when his computers were telling him there were incoming uh, nuclear weapons from the U.S. And in the end, it wasn't. It was I don't know geese or something. And um, nuclear he, nuclear powered geese. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean that that's yeah. a, that's I mean the fact that I didn't know that the fact that most people probably don't know that is incredible. I mean that should be a story that is on the front page of every newspaper, lead conversation on every evening news, and then repeated once in a while to remind us that right. those sort of things have happened and could happen again. I believe it's Eric Slasher who um, put down. He put down. He put in a, a very large tome about a thousand of these near misses had happened all over across the entire history of nuclear weapons. Mm. Um, and surely you heard about the time within a um, bunker that a, a, a wrench was dropped. Yes. And I did <laughs> hear about that one. Uh -huh. They had to evacuate because they thought that it was in a, in a silo, not a yeah. bunker, a silo. Wow. Um, so but it, I mean, so these are just some examples of why we can't continue to do this. That right. we have been lucky so far, but we will not be lucky forever. Yeah. Okay, so M. L. King was pretty darn clear about his perspective on nuclear weapons, uh, right. and uh, again, somebody that many of us, you know, everybody across the board, including our, our nation's leaders, uh, idolized. I mean, President Biden just um, spoke at the, at the Ebenezer Baptist Church. Um, I want to take one step back. Obama, President Obama, I remember hearing him say it here in Iowa, that his goal was to get rid of nuclear weapons. Right. He didn't do in a very fact, good job. He got, a, he got a Nobel Peace Prize for saying that. Yes. Unfortunately, you know, he was not able to make much progress on that. And was he not able promise. because he really wasn't willing or because there were too many other forces pushing back against him? Well, I, I believe it's going to be more too many more forces. I mean, we have two extremely powerful out-of-control forces in this nation. One is the fossil fuel industry and the other is the military-industrial complex. Uh, they really control a lot of what we think and do and spend money on. Uh, over, you know, the next 30 years, well, starting a year or so ago, they're planning to spend $1.7 to replace the entire infrastructure and upgrade the nuclear bombs, even though we're still part of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. It's the mm. only treaty that stands, basically, right, right. Um, that, that we've been signatories to. Um, there is, of course, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, which has been enforced now for two years. It has 92 state signatories, 65 ratifications, so it is actually in force. And in the sense that that uh, treaty is out there, um, nuclear weapons are illegal. But, of course, the U.S. is 
so powerful it can just ignore that, as can Russia, as can yeah. uh, the other nuclear weapons states <laughs> to right. this date. But they're basically holding the rest of the world hostage um, yeah. through these um and, and I, I and I imagine from the rest of the world's perspective, those of us who live in a nation like the U.S. that has so much potential control over this, that they, they want to see us doing what we can. And and you add to this, but my, my my perspective is, you know, right now we've seen a tremendous escalation of concern about the climate crisis, as we should. But right. we have to not forget the other existential threat that is posed by nuclear weapons, a threat that has been you know, there for a, for a long time uh, and isn't going away, unfortunately. So uh, maybe our, the challenge to people concerned about the future well-being of humanity and s- the survival of our planet should be, at, should be making sure they talk about those two existential threats in tandem. That's my perspective. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I said the two most powerful entities really on the planet are the, the rulers of the fossil fuel industry and the rulers of the military uh, uh, production industries. Um, And they really work hand in hand. What we tend to forget and overlook, and I don't believe that Martin Luther King talked about that, but the fact that we have this outrageous um, military that spends and spends and spends and, and, and builds and builds and builds and uses enormous quantities of fossil fuels right. to do it. Sure. And they're totally exempt from any of the calculations uh-huh. of uh, where emissions are being produced. Right. And so it's like we ignore this humongous elephant in the room while we bicker about how much money we're going to put into wind or solar mm. or geothermal or whatever our so-called um, uh, solution to no. climate change is, when yeah. in fact one of the really major solutions would be to really roll back military and use those sure. funds for uh, well-being of, of people. And in fact, that brings us back to Martin Luther King, because he also said in his I Have a Dream speech, in a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When right. the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution, they were signing a promissory note to which every American has to fall heir. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come marked insufficient yeah. funds. And I would say in this day and age, many more uh, have also found that that check is marked insufficient funds yeah. while we spend trillions on nuclear weapons programs all Ma- the way around. Maureen, that's uh, a, what could that money be spent on? That is a great note to end the conversation on. I've got to run to a break. Uh, Maureen, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Thank you. Folks, we've been talking with uh, Dr. Maureen McHugh with Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility. This is Ed Fallon. And when we come back from a short break uh, for our farm and food segment today, Kathy Burns is going to join us for a conversation about seed starting, specifically peach trees from pits. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Lipsham is committed to the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark says no matter how you plan or renovate your project, use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. A beautiful project will be revered, maintained, and valued, and is the best investment you can make for a future we all share. Learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. 
I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat me a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. Peaches come from a can. This is Ed Fallon, folks. Welcome back to the program. And we're gonna eat a lot of peaches. Or at least we're gonna talk about eating a lot of peaches. Uh, but first, uh, I gotta remember, remind you that uh, your support of this uh, program matters a lot. Uh, consider becoming a monthly donor. That would be great. Maybe somebody listening will do that. And if you own a small business or run a nonprofit, become a sponsor of this program. That's also an option. And thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, one of our sponsors and Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Gateway also has excellent catering and floral services. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Kathy Burns back in the studio with me uh, as we are now discussing, since it's that time of the year where we start planting seeds, we're discussing peaches. Which is new for us. Yes. Well, not, not new for us totally. We plant a lot of seeds this time of year in general. And last year, we ate some delicious peaches and uh, sprouted couple of the seeds and we planted one yeah and it grew nice and we put it in the ground not knowing <laughs> what would become of it yeah. since then we've done a little more research yeah well yeah and i've i've i have planted peach trees from seeds before mm -hmm. just taking yes, a, have I. and once it was a white peach mm -hmm. and once it was what i call the better peach the big yellow one and both trees came up and both produced fruit mm -hmm. and la last year well it actually was the year before we found the most incredible peach tree and we can't tell you where it was no. or we would have to kill you uh, but it is uh, it is the most amazing peach tree and it's probably one of about four different three or four different trees that we harvest fruit from mm -hmm. and, and being, we always ask permission or sometimes oh, they're growing they're, on public land they're happy to let us have what they're not using which is plentiful and I hope we have enough that we can share as well yeah. if we get good peaches from this tree and I have discovered some things about planting peaches we thought ed maybe we were just getting lucky getting a good peach from a seed like oh this is just like the parent tree and i've, I've just planted it directly in the ground and had luck but this is you you came, you came up with an approach that i think is more uh scientific and more assured of success it makes the squirrels not able to to <laughs> dig them up if you just plant the pit in the ground well i cracked the shell off of the outside and then took the the, the basic kernel of the seed and Which is shaped like an almond. Right, yeah. right. In fact, I think I read that a peach is in the family of, of almonds. Yeah. Um, they celebrate Thanksgiving together. <laughs> I did this with 40, 42 or so seeds. And I um, put them in a plastic baggie with some potting soil, put that in the fridge. Well, and I moistened it, put it in the fridge, left it for a couple of months. A couple and of months, sure wow. enough... They started little sprouts. So that's the time that you bring them out of the fridge, you plant them in the nice bigger pot, and voila, our peaches are several inches tall, if not more, already. So what is a peach seed thinking when it's stuck in the refrigerator? It's thinking it's a natural peach getting vernalized, going through a winter. Okay, that's 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 its winter vacation is the refrigerator. That's right. Yeah. That's what and a peach so it, needs. At some point... Vernalize. Still in the refrigerator, still where it's cool, it decides to start sprouting. That's right. And right. Um, nice thing about a peach tree is that, and, and you know, people say you can grow those in Iowa. Well, it depends on the variety, and this happens to be one that grows well. They do self-pollinate. I guess the first year, it's good to help them a little bit. Just take a little Q-tip on one blossom, rub it on another blossom, and uh, see what you get. Maybe not the first year of growth, but the first year that you see it um, blossoming. Yeah, you can which might be year two or three, maybe? Two or three, yeah. which is pretty yeah. early. It's pretty quick. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so we're very excited. Um, I wasn't sure if we would get a true variety. And sure enough, peaches and apricots are the two fruits that most people grow that you can plant the seed and get the parent variety most of the time. Mm -hmm. Most other trees have to be grafted to right. get that parent variety. Well, In other words, you're going to get a hybrid. Very good news for us and the uh, 
40 peach trees we have. <laughs> well, the main so. thing is you don't want to grow a lot of peaches. Uh, you, if you're going to eat a lot of peaches, as the um, presidents of the United States of America were just singing about, <laughs> um, you want to know how to eat them and what to well, do with them. And, and we, we freeze we freeze them uh, as uh, just, 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 just pit them and sometimes take the peels off and freeze them, and then mm-hmm. they can be used in all sorts of ways. Oh, or we make, yeah. you make, I should say, a pie recipe. You make the pie recipe, freeze that, and then it's just ready to go. The filling is all yeah, ready to go, and we can grab that, thaw it a little, throw it in a crust, put and a top crust on, and Be happy for the voila. rest of the day. That's it. Yeah, or the rest of the week, probably. And you don't even have to move <laughs> into the country to do it. No, you can stay right in the city, yeah. yeah. Hey, folks, thanks for listening to today's program, and thanks to our production squad of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake, Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Remember, your support for this program matters a whole lot, so go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can get involved and make a difference. Thanks again, and we will be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.